Now we want to undertake one of the most important inquiries. How does the woman in the wilderness who bore the child, who was taken to God and to his throne, how does that woman then end up becoming the prostitute who deceives the nations? Well, we find her again in the wilderness. Um, in Revelation 17, John said, The Spirit carried me away into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, uh, and, and describes the beast with, as one that had seven heads and, heads and ten horns, making it unmistakable that she has a position of power in relationship to the global kingdom that crushes and devours the whole earth and makes war against the saints. Now when we left her in the wilderness in Revelation 12, the following was said about her. His, uh, the, the, the woman, when she gave birth, she bore a male child, this is Revelation 12.5, who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That child, of course Christ, was caught up to God and His throne. So there's the body of Christ. Uh, there's Christ and the body of Christ sitting in a ruling position. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, carrying on from there, it says there was war in heaven, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon the dragon and his angels fought back, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who, leads the, who deceives the whole world, he was cast out and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Now has salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of His Christ now that has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. More is said about that. Verse 13, however, continues, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast out to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, because he said a place was prepared for her, to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Now, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman 
that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the woman, the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now in a nutshell, and I've dealt with this before, earlier on when we came to the book of Revelation to the 12th chapter, but I did say I would deal with it at greater length when we came to the 17th chapter. So here we are in the 17th chapter. So if you go back and review what I said earlier on when we're studying chapter 12, it should prepare you adequately for the continuation. But that said, I want to bring forth some some key components here. So the woman was given the wings of a great eagle, two wings, the wings of a great eagle, and she flew to that place in the wilderness that God had prepared for her. After the dragon could not prevail against the child. The continuing attack of the serpent against her, of the devil, when we speak of the serpent we're speaking of course of the devil, Satan, um, because that's what it says, that's what it says. Um, It says here, uh, verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old, of course that's a reference to serpent who came into the garden, called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. There's no mistake as to who this dragon is, who pursues the woman after the child has been safely established upon the throne of God. The woman then was allowed to flee from the serpent, but in pursuing her, the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. So the serpent began to accuse the woman, to accuse the woman, water like a flood. Here again, unmistakably, we see the continuation of the battle that started in the Garden of Eden with the targeting of the woman whose destiny was to bring forth the child. In connection with her destiny to bring forth the child, God provides and provided refuge for her, knowing that the enemy would not prevail against the child but would turn viciously against the woman. The enemy seems to have a penchant for attacking the woman, which would suggest that the vulnerability of the woman is in part being uncovered, being uncovered. In the garden, her husband was with Eve 
but he did not cover her. This woman flees into the wilderness, the enemy vomits a flood of water, which is that he began to pursue her with propaganda, began to lie about her. We know that in the early church, Nero, to justify the unleashing of death and destruction against the church, against the early church, published propaganda that the early church was in fact responsible for torching Rome and he crucified believers by the thousands and it would inaugurate a time of hostility between the Roman state and the body of Christ. Now, looking forward beyond the time even of Nero, the scriptures say that the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So first the world did not actually believe what Nero had put out, the Roman world did not necessarily believe it. And in that sense the propaganda against the church dissipated without destroying it. The woman and her, then he began to, then the serpent began, the dragon was enraged and began to make war against the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That would be a reference to both Jews and other believers outside of Rome itself uh, going forward. But we're pursuing a more direct point. At what point did the woman become, this woman who gave birth to the child, at what point did she become the prostitute whose activities were related to favors she offered to kings. In order to pursue that, I want for us to look at a couple of things. The first is, in the book of Matthew, the 23rd chapter, I want us to identify a spirit that constantly pursued the things of God. It's a spirit of religion. Let me read certain portions here. And then I want to go to Revelation 3 and we'll note how the same spirit began to pursue the early church. So in looking here, at Jesus' interactions with the religious people of his day, the scribes and Pharisees. 
he identifies certain spirits that were quite active in this religious organization uh, associated with the law of Moses. I'll just read it. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes. This is from Matthew 23. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, observe, tell you to observe rather, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. So they'll quote the scriptures to you, as Moses has said, and they'll tell you to do that, do that. But they themselves are hypocrites. Don't pattern your life, do not pattern your obedience after what they do, because they're hypocritical. The spirit of hypocrisy is probably the dominant spirit within religion, clothing itself with the appearance of divine rectitude, but in fact living a life that denies the truth in all of its facets. Do you know religious people, priests, religious figures, have always costumed themselves to appear holy. They've always done that. They never dress like the rest of the people. They would adorn themselves with gold and silver and precious stones. They would um, emblazon certain figures and letters upon their garments. They always wish to stood out and to create an aura of mystery that would separate them from the common folk, even from the wealthy folk. You could always tell a priest in the ancient world, just like you can always tell a priest in the modern world. This woman sitting on the beast was similarly costumed. A woman sitting on a scarlet beast and she was adorned with gold and precious stones, pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. They do whatever they can to perpetrate this hypocrisy. Whatever people, whatever the common people, the ordinary people, are likely to think God is like, or those who serve God look like. That's exactly the costuming that they wear. You you will no doubt have noted the evolution of certain modern day prophets. I remember this one fellow in particular, when I, when I saw him at one point, he was clean-shaven and wore suits like, a, like people who stood and spoke to audiences. 
as time went on and as he got into the identity of prophet, guess what? He grew a beard because we all know that prophets have beards, don't they? It's part of the seriousness of the bearded face. And they began to wear different kinds of clothing, uh, often uh, shirts with round collars that sort of looks like a priest of uh, the Orthodox or, or um, state churches because you see it wouldn't do not to look different. Many of them began to have crosses and doves emblazoned on their, or, or uh, monogrammed or emblazoned on, on their clothing because of course they are men of God. You can tell just by looking at them. We must not pay the slightest honor or attention to this form of blatant hypocrisy. Certainly you can wear a beard if you want to, I'm not saying you can't, but when, when it's patently obvious that they are costuming according to the people's view of what prophets should look like, they're a joke, they're a joke. They're pray, playing upon and praying upon your emotions. Judge them by what comes out of their mouths, not by how much hair they have on their faces or how their costumes are emblazoned to deceive and seduce you into thinking that they are what they are not. He says, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're hypocrites, don't do what they do. but judge what they say as to whether or not it's biblical and then do what they say, but don't pattern your lives after them. It says, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves would not move a finger to help the people. All their works they do to be seen of men. That's why they make broader phylacteries and they enlarge their garments. He says, don't, don't be like them. I want to go on and read a few other pieces of this and then I want to go to Revelation uh, the third chapter where the, where the Spirit is speaking to the seven churches. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Listen to this, this is so key to how the woman became the prostitute. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, you're standing in the door, you'll, you'll shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. 
One of the things that happened to the early church, and I'm ahead of myself in this presentation, was it began to argue about theology. It began to argue, for example, about the nature of God, the nature of Christ. Was He fully God? Was He fully man? Was He, did He have His own will? Uh, A doctrine based on the, the Greek term telema. Did He have His own will or did He take on entirely the will of God? Is it the will? Did he have the will of God or the will of man? Um, Can the true God, can God, a divine personage, ever inhabit a human body if the human body is intrinsically sinful? These were the kinds of things they argued about. And what does that have to do with Christ in you? What does that have to do with the original intent? And there were centers for these forms of argument. One such center was Ephesus, another center was Rome, yet another center uh, was was, uh, Alexandria in the Western Church. We'll come to talk about the Eastern Church uh, later on because that's what God, the thing God is highlighting today is the hypocrisy of the Eastern Orthodox Church, particularly the hypocrisy of the Russian Church. The harlotry, not just hypocrisy, harlotry. In their debates, they were not any different from the scribes and the Pharisees whose debates were about the law and the applications of the law. And what they did was they bound burdens that were impossible for the people to carry, so they always had to go back to the priest to get uh, some form of expiation, whether in the form of sacrifices or prayers or offerings or whatever. This is how a thing that once represented God becomes seduced and taken over by wicked men whose intent is to prosper and benefit from the people that they oversee. They continuously invent sins that the people could never possibly escape the entrapment that they are not of God. They invent doctrinal postures that the people could never understand. And you notice how they always use these powerful sounding words, words that only God could speak, so to speak. And they talk, in the English vernacular, they talk in King James language. In the ancient world, they talked terms of the Greek language. Well, who studies ancient Greek, Koine Greek, and King James English? I mean, I happen to be one of those persons. I got an undergraduate degree 
in English with a focus on Elizabethan and Jacobean literature. So I read all of Shakespeare and Milton and, uh, and the, the preeminent writers of that time. So I understand. I understand and re I have read Chaucer in the original, in, in the way Chaucer wrote. I've read Beowulf, all, all of that. These are difficult studies. You spend hours poring over these words and the, the classical allusions they refer to. The average person has no experience with any of this. So the historic church has just clothed itself with the mystery of language to make sure that the common people could never believe that they had access to God. Now, <clears throat> they shut up the kingdom to men. I want to, be, to introduce now the book of Revelation, uh, the third chapter, because the fruit of this is already apparent even in the early church and the Spirit of God Himself is warning the early church about the existence of such things. So if you start at actually in chapter 2, the letters to the seven churches of Asia, and we'll go through and see and look at some of the things that were already in the church, the early church. Here I'm not speaking of the Roman church, I'm speaking of the church at the time Rome persecuted it, the time when Roman religion opposed the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when believers were subject to the harrowing persecutions uh, as in the days of John. So we actually have the record of these things as they occurred prior to AD 80 in the early, early church. I'll start now and we'll resume when we come back in the next broadcast just to show you some of the things that constituted, that would become shutting up the kingdom against the common folk and this exclusivity that conferred princely favor upon what transitioned to be a harlot church. It's the woman in the wilderness who becomes the harlot. Look, here are the writings of John, first to the church of Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things, write, these things says, he who, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. So the appearing of Jesus, these things he says. I know your works, your patience, you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. You've preserved, you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your candlestick from its place unless you repent. This I have, that you hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So there were those who were going to overcome and there were those who were going to succumb. There would be a division in the early church. I want to pursue that and show you how many things were ready to divide the early church in the days of John. So there's a a parting of ways. One becomes the bride ultimately and the other becomes the prostitute ultimately. One seeks the favor of the Lord by obedience, the other seeks the favor of kings as the payment for its disobedience. I'm Sam Solon. This is how the the prostitute, this is how the woman in the wilderness became the prostitute, a separation between the, the, the body of Christ early on and those who were not of us, as John himself would say in 1 John, they went out from among us, but they were not of us. I want to pick up there when we come back. I'll see you then. I'm Sam Solon. We'll start with that scripture. God bless you. Bye-bye.